Hi, and welcome to Bread. We're a newish, open-minded, spirit-filled, non-denominational church who now meet each week in Hollywood Adventist on the corner of Hollywood Boulevard and Van Ness in Los Angeles. In-person church life, as with the rest of life, is going to take a while to find its shape again post-Covid and slowly and surely is going to be our mantra for a while. All these podcasts are taken for the time being from our Sunday services, hence the not always perfect audio quality and background noises. You can live stream them or watch the videos later on bread.church if that's more your thing. How to Return is the theme of the current series. We hope it serves you well. seated. Welcome, everyone. I'm happy that you are here, that you made it through all the obstacles and road closures, and here we are. We can give ourselves a round of applause for making it through the worst of LA traffic. Um, We should all get a reward of some kind. Um, But yeah, so everyone, welcome. Happy that you're here. My name is Raul. I am the I oversee all the community and social initiatives here at Bread. And today we're going to continue our series. Actually, we're ending our series. Sorry, we're ending our series on the Book of Psalms that we've we've talked about the last several weeks, um, and we've been looking at specifically at God's character. The first week we talked about how God is the one who takes away our shame. And the week after that, we talked about God being the one who gives us back our souls. And last week, Nellie reminded us that we can approach God with all honesty as we are. And today, we're going to end the series with a talk on peace, on the peace of God. And the peace of God has to do a lot with another theme that Nellie mentioned last week. It's a thing core to a life committed to God, and it's one that we have little patience for. It's called waiting. See what I did there? Um, If we're honest, waiting sucks, and everyone knows it. If you need proof of this, just go into your local Starbucks at 7.30 in the morning when the line is out the door and see how many lovely, warm people there are. But I remember one time when I was working, for, when I was working in coffee, uh, my coworker and I, we found ourselves in a rush. And this is when, you know, the lines are out the door um, and we're making coffee nonstop. There's no time to run to the bathroom. There's no time to stock items. You're having to pull people from other departments to come and help you out. It is that busy. And the average wait time is about 10 minutes, which, not good. But during this rush, I had a regular guest come by. He lived in the neighborhood, and he would come by pretty often, but we never really talked. We never really had a conversation. He was the kind of person who just came, ordered his coffee, and just dipped. And so during the rush, he came by, and he ordered his coffee, and then immediately went over to the pickup side to wait for his coffee with about 15 other people. And I'm not joking, two minutes later, two minutes later, after this guy had ordered, he came up to the pickup window and screamed at me, where is my coffee? Just like that. 
But actually, it was nicer than that. He was sure to include a very intentional word that rhymes with truck, just to emphasize just how happy he was with me. Um, He was so angry that he had to wait any more than a minute for his drink. And if we're honest, we've all been there. Whether it's at the grocery store line, waiting for our Instagram feed to refresh, or the food we ordered to arrive, waiting to get picked up from the airport, waiting is much more part of our daily existence than we'd like to admit. And it doesn't come naturally to humans because we don't, we're uncomfortable with the in-between. We'd either like to be here or there, and our consumeristic um, tendencies plus Amazon's conditioning for two-day shipping means that we have a much lower tolerance for waiting than the rest of the world. But waiting isn't only inconvenient, it's also painful. Waiting hurts our hearts and often our bodies. When we are waiting for a you know, long amount of time, we get headaches. We don't feel like eating. Our backs hurt. Our muscles feel it. We can become depressed or suspicious or, you know, we imagine things that aren't real. Waiting on relationships is one of the hardest things um, because we can't control it. And waiting for the right person to come around can leave us feeling loads of doubt. It can leave us questioning ourselves. Well, am I, am I good enough? Am I attractive enough? Is my personality okay? These are things that, thoughts that bubble up when we are waiting. And I've seen what waiting can do to a person. Whether it's waiting for that one person to text, whether it's waiting for that one person to love you back, or waiting for someone you love to recover from addiction, or waiting for news from a doctor, or waiting to hear back from a parent or sibling that you haven't spoken to in years. Waiting, it's, it's crippling, and it can disrupt our daily life, and the pain of it all shows up unexpectedly. Ultimately, waiting is painful. And it's also why we've felt restless at the tail end of the pandemic. We've imagined a moment when masks are no longer, when things can go back to the way they were, but waiting for that moment to arrive has felt like entering a tunnel without an end. And that's just one example. But we've all envisioned a particular moment or thing that we're waiting for. We may be waiting on relationships. We may be waiting on careers or opportunities. We may be waiting on God to shift something in our situation. And our prayers may have been something like, God, something's got to give. Something's got to give. And similarly, those who originally sang Psalm 85 were in a state of waiting. And it's in their waiting that they hear God is the one who promises peace in their less than ideal situation. And so we'll walk through Psalm 85 in two parts. This is the first part. Verse 1. Lord, you've been kind to your land. You've changed Jacob's circumstances for the better. You've given your people's, you've forgiven your people's wrongdoing. You've covered all their sins. 
You've stopped being furious. You've turned away from your burning anger. You, the God who can save us, restore us. Stop being angry with us. Will you be mad at us forever? Will you prolong your anger from one generation to the next? Won't you bring us back to life again so that we can rejoice in you? Show us your faithful love, Lord. Give us your salvation. This psalm was sung in community. It was sung corporately in a setting similar to this. And it starts off great, doesn't it? You know, looking at the positive realities of God, of God's forgiveness, God's kindness. Um, But then there's a shift. And suddenly the psalm starts to talk about God's anger. And I'm left thinking, what is going on? You know, I'm I'm tracking this, I'm, I'm reading this, and I'm thinking, guys, these first three verses, some of the best writing... Then you get to verse 4, and you're like, what is happening? You know, I was with you for the first three verses, but then at verse 4, you lost me. And I think to get this shift, we have to take a step back and consider when this psalm was written. It's, It's likely this song was written and sung after Israel's return from exile. The people had been removed from their homes, and they spent generations living in the land of their captors. And by the time this psalm was written, they had returned to their homeland, but things were not going as well as they had expected. They had expected to come back and bounce back immediately, to flourish as soon as they returned home, but that wasn't the case. And so Haggai gives us a glimpse of what life was like when they had returned. This is um, out of Haggai chapter 1. So now this is what the Lord of heavenly forces says. Take your ways to heart. You have sown much, but it has brought little. You eat, but there's not enough to satisfy. You drink, but not enough to get drunk. There is clothing, but not enough to keep warm. Anyone earning wages puts those wages into a bag with holes. This is kind of like a scene out of the Great Depression. But this is likely the backdrop of Psalm 85. They've returned home but haven't quite bounced back yet. And they're waiting for the day when things will get better. They've returned, but they're waiting to bounce back. Kind of sounds familiar. It's almost like we're in a similar situation. And so they remember the good old days when God's favor was obvious, but in their current situation, in their current circumstances, it feels more like God's abandoned them. It feels more like God's angry at them. It feels like God's left. And so what is true of the psalmist community may even be true of us this morning. We may be interpreting our situation, this waiting period that we're in, as God's anger for something that we may have done. We may have been told that our current situation, the way things are with the pandemic, the way things are with our relationships, or you know, the confusion or the uncertainty we feel inside, we may have been told that this is a re- all a result of God's anger towards us for something that we've done. 
Or we may even be telling ourselves that, that we deserve the situation that we're in because of something that we've done. And it feels like maybe God is holding a dark cloud over us because of something we've done or something we keep doing. And we may see God as a record keeper of all wrong. You know, that, that he's got all this pent-up anger in him. And he, like a volcano, can explode at any moment. And who feels safe with a God like that? And so how we see God is often linked to how we interpret our situations. We've all, we've all heard or thought something along the lines of, if this bad thing is happening, it's because God is angry with me. Or we may feel that we're waiting on God because he's disappointed. Or we may feel that God is withholding something from us because of something that we've done. And so in this period of waiting to bounce back, we can lose sight of who God is. And we may be asking, is God angry? Is God disappointed? And the good news is that we do know the answer. The big picture of God in the Bible is actually one of deep compassion, who isn't angry at humans. Rather, he's angry at what sin can do to humans that it isolates humans from him and it can create in the human heart attitudes, behaviors, and feelings that turn humans in on themselves and on God's creation. But most of us think of God's anger in individualistic terms. Imagine God with a wooden spoon. Or if you're Mexican, it's the chancla which is the sandal that Mexican moms use to use to discipline their kids. Right, Mom? (laughs) Mom's in the back there. (laughs) Uh, But that's not the case with God. The Bible does acknowledge this tension that God, uh, you know, is God angry, is God compassionate, or is he both? And the Old Testament writers perceived God to be both. However, in Jesus, we get the full revelation of God that he's, actually not angry, so we can be confident without any worry or any doubt that when we approach God, we're met with compassion again and again. This is what God is really like. He's compassionate and he's kind, but in reading Psalm 85, what we learn is that if we feel it, we've got to admit it. When we admit that we feel God is angry, or when we admit that we feel God has abandoned us, or when we feel like, you know, God has, um, is disappointed, then we can be reoriented to what God is really like. It's why in the middle of this psalm, we read verse 8. It serves as a crux for everything before and after, and it's the central point of this song, and it reads this. Let me hear what the Lord God says. Because he speaks peace to his people and to his faithful ones. Don't let them return to their foolish ways. And the image here is actually um, of someone from within the community standing up on a soapbox. 
when spirits are down, when everyone feels like throwing in the towel on faith, when, when God feels so far away and when hope is low, this person stands up on the soapbox and declares God's peace. And the community listens. But what is God's peace? You know, do, do we imagine God with a peace symbol just hanging around his, his neck? Is, is God a hippie of sorts? Does he drive a Volkswagen with flowers on it? The Hebrew word for peace is shalom, and it means complete or whole, and it can refer to people or things. So in Old Testament thought, if you break your iPhone, if your screen is broken, to bring shalom would be to complete it, to restore it to wholeness to fill in the gaps. And, for example, there are parts of this building that need shalom. Just look at the carpet. It needs lots of shalom. But this word can be used for people, for relationships, and for communities. And true peace, or shalom, isn't just the absence of conflict. It's restoring whatever is broken to wholeness. So in verse 8, it means that if we're down, if our relationships are broken, if we're waiting for something to change, if our situation feels like a mess, then we can come to the one who is our shalom. And the New Testament authors, they tell us that Jesus is our peace, that he is the embodiment of shalom. Jesus is shalom in human flesh, and shalom actually flows from him. And we see this in the Gospels when he, he heals the sick. He gives sight to the blind. He restored the outcasts, and he brought good news to the poor. He is the one who comes to make all things complete. He comes to make all things whole. And Jesus makes our relationship with the Father complete. God absorbs anything in the way of us knowing him, and he brings shalom to you and I so that we can be the people that he made us to be. And yes, Jesus makes us whole, but it's also something that the Spirit enables us to live into. We're whole now, but by the Spirit, it is also being worked out and in us ongoingly. But if, if I'm honest, and you might relate to this, sometimes I don't feel complete. Sometimes it feels like I'm not enough. I wonder if I'm spiritual enough to be up here, to be working for bread. I wonder, am I a good enough husband Am I Mexican enough? Am I brown enough? Some would say no to that last one, but thankfully Jesus is yes. But all my insecurities, they tell me, you're just half of a person. You can do better. You can work harder. You're actually not enough. But the whole idea behind shalom is that God is the one who makes us enough. That our wholeness, 
our enoughness is something that Jesus gives. We aren't the ones who make ourselves whole. It's not something we muster up. It's not something that we pay for. It's something that we receive. And I know receiving anything from a God that is mildly angry can be difficult. And it's why the psalmist invites us again to hear God's shalom, to see him for who he is. Um, I'm in seminary, and it can be pretty intense. There are so many concepts and theories, models and methods, tradition and history that we have to learn And in all of that, it can get pretty easy to lose sight of why you're there. The Bible can become dry. It can become like a textbook. Something boring and void of life. And times of worship can become performative and ritualistic. So in class, one of my professors, he asked us, what parts of the Christian faith are keeping you in this. In other words, he's asking, how do you see God? And as I reflected on this, I I imagined myself stripping away all the non-essentials. And what I was left with was a genuine friendship with Jesus. And I'll, I'll never forget the tangible love of Jesus that I felt for the very first time at 17. And I hold on to God in my doubt and uncertainty because he, through all the ups and downs, has remained constant. And God is the one whose power and forgiveness is so compelling that I wouldn't know where else to go without him. Jesus is a friend. And at Alpha on Wednesday, we were sharing um, in, our, in our breakout groups, we were sharing a little bit about prayer, and someone in our group mentioned an exercise that they do uh, when they find it hard to pray. And they imagine themselves walking through a field up to Jesus underneath a tree, and they imagined themselves sitting down beside Jesus, and Jesus just giving this person their full attention. This is what friends do, and it's how God wants to be seen by us. Lemon Sané is an author who originally grew up in Africa, and he researches indigenous communities, and he found that in Africa, after the colonial powers left, there was an explosion of God's power. Many of the indigenous communities in Africa became Christians after the colonial powers left. And he writes this, In Africa, there were over 16,500 conversions a day. Ironically, colonialism was an obstacle to the growth of Christianity. When colonialism ended, the stumbling block was removed. This is what happens when we see God with our own eyes. It happens when we shed the picture of the angry God that we may have been given. We become free, we experience God's power, and we know ourselves to be loved. This is what shalom looks like. 
And so the psalmist invites us to look again at who God is, that he is the one who brings shalom. We don't need to go far looking to be made whole. We don't need to spend all the money we've got on the next thing that promises wholeness or completeness. The promise of our faith, the promise of Jesus, is that he comes to make you and I complete. He makes us shalom. And I'd like to um, read the rest of this psalm before we end. This is verse 9. It says, God's salvation is very close to those who honor him, so that his glory can live in our land. Faithful love and truth have met. Righteousness and peace have kissed Truth springs up from the ground. Righteousness gazes down from heaven. Yes, the Lord gives what is good and our land yields its produce. Righteousness walks before God, making a road for his steps. And I want to draw attention to verse 9 as we end. That God's salvation is very close. And this is something to... Celebrate. This is something to look forward to. This is something to be excited about. Because we're all waiting. All of creation is waiting to be made whole. The way we've decimated the environment and pulled the earth's resources means that the, that the land that we stand on is in need of shalom. Our communities know things aren't working as, as well as they should, that there's brokenness and it's completeness that they wait for. And the way power has been exercised in this country and around the world means that the downtrodden are waiting for the day when power will be balanced, when shalom will be fully realized. And you and I, we get a glimpse of shalom but we're still waiting for shalom to be here as it is in heaven. And so in other words, what we wait for is the kingdom. Jesus is the king that we need. It's the kingdom that we hope for, and of it, Jesus says, it is at hand. It's close to us, so let us pray for more of the kingdom. Let us receive God's shalom and as we wait, we don't wait hopelessly. But we look forward to the day when everything will be restored. When every tear will be wiped away. When suffering will be no more. When God's people are one with the king. So, do you need peace? Are you waiting Jesus knows what it's like to wait. He actually knows the pain of waiting. The most intense moment of Jesus' waiting is when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane as he waited for his betrayal. Can you imagine what that night must have been like? He waited and he prayed and he asked those closest to him to stay awake and wait with him because he wanted the comfort of their presence. But they kept falling asleep again and again. And with every second that went by, Jesus felt the pain of waiting in his body. 
And the account tells us that Jesus was sweating drops of blood. And this is actually a real medical condition. It's rare, but it happens under intense stress. The blood capillaries in the forehead begin to burst from extreme fear or distress. Because Jesus knew what was coming for him. He knew what he had to endure. And so as the, as the capillaries burst, the blood exits through the pores and hair follicles, and it looks, like, it looks like you're actually sweating blood. And this was Jesus' human experience. The pain of being alone. The pain of waiting. This isn't something that's foreign to him. And in that experience we see ourselves, that we too are human, that we feel the pain of waiting, that we feel the pain of being alone, and that we are in need of shalom. So Jesus is the embodiment of peace. He's the one who can hold our pain, and in our waiting, he says this from John 14. He says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. So if the band wants to come up, um, we'll end there. So let us come and see God for who he is. Let us hear his voice. Let us leave behind the distorted pictures that we've been given and make faith our own. And while we wait, we draw near. We draw near to him knowing that his shalom is very close. And so as, this, as the band um, sings a song, I'd like to invite us to just stand up um, on our feet and just bring to him whatever thing we may be waiting for. That, that pain that we may be feeling in our bodies and just leave it at his feet. Amen.